You guys sound pretty good today. You know? I think it's pretty impressive. You know, no one rehearsed before. I mean, except these guys a little bit. No big deal. Uh, but no, that's, uh, you guys sound so good. Uh, this morning we're gonna talk about, uh, trying to understand, uh, Jesus and trying to learn how to follow him. Uh, it's a pretty simple, basic task or thing to talk about. Uh, when I was, uh, 11 years old, and, uh, this is a point where you could all roll your eyes because it's like, this is such a big marking part of my story. You're like, okay, we know when you're 11, you moved to Portugal. But when I was 11, I moved to Portugal. Uh, really, I did. And uh, we uh, wanted to learn the language, and so I had Portuguese lessons uh, every day at school. Uh, it was really uh, fun in the beginning and terrible at the end. But the very first day of class, you know, 11-year-old version of me, uh, if you can imagine, uh, I had corduroy pants and a really cool button-up uh, t-shirts. I look like a real awesome 11-year-old kid in Europe. That was a joke. But uh, I, I went to this class, and I was super eager. I was so excited. I thought, uh, I am going to ace this whole foreign language thing. I can remember sitting down. I sat in the very front of the class, and I was like, I'm going to do it really well. I think part of the, the thing in the back of my mind was, I'm going to beat my brother in learning this language. That's how I function in almost everything of life. Uh, and so I was sitting there, and the, the, the teacher went up, and she began to write words. And I'll, I'll spare you the Portuguese, but she basically wrote the word for I, and then you, and then he and she, and then we, and then, you know, they. There you go. You guys are awesome. Uh, and y'all, which was also cool. It was a really ex- wonderful you know, a moment to realize the whole world says y'all, except for us. We're not allowed to. But I remember she wrote those words up there, and I repeated them under my breath. I was like, this is how you learn. I repeated this. Okay, ill, ill, ill. That means I. Uh, and I. And I wrote exactly what she wrote, and I thought, check. I mean, I am acing this thing. I know how to say I and you and he and she and we and they. I am like killing this. And then she wrote on the board this verb, uh, ishtar, which means to be, but it's a weird word to be. If you learn no Spanish, it's really similar. It's like a estoy. But it means to be, but not permanently to be, you know? It's like I am, you know, some of the time. That's like what this word means. And I thought, well, that's pretty strange. That's pretty interesting. But you know what? Ishtar, ishtar, to be, but some of the times, not all the times, I've got it. And then she wrote next to all the I, you, they, we, you know, she wrote... Uh, how to conjugate it. And at the end of that class, I thought, wow, after this hour, I know how to say I am. You know, it's pretty great. I'm like, Descartes, I think because I am. This is pretty awesome. And I was so eager, I, I sat down in the very same spot the very next day, and she taught almost the exact same lesson, and I was completely lost. She, were, she was writing the same words, and I was like, oh, that's how you say you, right, you, okay. Oh, ishtad, does that mean I am? Oh, it means I am, but only some of the time. It was like uh, a repetitious thing, learning another language. Anyone ever done that? It's really exhausting. It's a little bit irritating, because I thought, 
you know, I get the information, I repeated it to my, I wrote it down, check. You know, moving on. Let's move on to bigger and better things, like the verb said, to always be, you know? But we didn't get there that first week. It was many, many weeks later. I needed the same lessons on the second day, the third day, the fourth day, as I needed on the very first day. Uh, We don't like repetition, I don't think. I think it's something about who we are. I'm not going to analyze our culture, but we do not like learning the same things over and over again. It seems really inefficient. But Jesus' way of transforming us is all about repetition. It's the way he's kind of built us to be formed by him, learning the same thing over and over again. It's his way of teaching us, probably because we can't just say, all right, Jesus, good, check, moving on, rest of my life, I understand that. In every moment, in every situation, I know Jesus is good. Now, that's not how it works, does it? No. It doesn't matter if Jesus was good five minutes ago. The new set of circumstances, surely, we don't know. We don't remember, is Jesus going to be good today? Uh, Today's scriptures are oddly encouraging. The disciples uh, are learning the same lesson. They're actually experiencing some of the very same stuff that they had just the page before. Uh, It's oddly encouraging, I think, because it allows us to see, oh, wow, we're not the only ones who fail to see this. So today's passage is Mark 7, 31, uh, all the way to Mark 8, 26. It's about two miracles, and in the middle is the disciples just not understanding. It's, uh, it's really great. Starting in verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went to Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. After spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he, that's Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from very far. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to sit before the people. And they set them before the people. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. 
And he sent them away, and immediately he got on the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got in the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. That is God's word. It's a great section of stories. Uh, Mark is kind of a master of putting these stories together. And the very middle of this whole chunk is about feeding people who are hungry. Uh, the, the story before, in chapter 6, there are 5,000 people, and the, and the disciples had gone out there, and a big crowd sort of surrounded them, and Jesus had compassion on them because, as he said, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught these people, thousands of them. And then the disciples came to him, and they said, hey, we should send them home. Like, people are going to be hungry. And I think the disciples understanding the constant real fact of hangriness. You know, like, you don't want thousands of people hangry. I've been hangry for days. Uh, and what Jesus responds to them is not great initiative. Thanks for looking out. He says, will you feed them? The disciples say, how are we supposed to feed them? You brought us out to this desolate place. There's no food around here. It would cost us half of a year's salary to feed all these people. And then Jesus says, well, how much bread do you have? Go see what you do have and bring it to me. Jesus go, they go and they find a few loaves and a few fish and they bring them to Jesus. He's thankful for them. He looks up to the heavens. He says this prayer and then he begins passing out bread to people sitting on the green grass waiting to be fed. And it, and it says that they were satisfied. Everybody ate to their fill, these thousands of people, and there was even an abundance. There was even left over. Out of not enough, there came an abundance and a satisfying from the very bread that Jesus took and that he broke. 
pretty great story. They crossed the sea a couple times, and that's where we come to this story. Now there's 4,000 people, but pretty much the exact same situation. Except this time, Jesus says, I have compassion on them, because if we send them home at this point, they're going to faint along the way. I mean, just another little sign there that Jesus actually cares about the people. Uh, Sometimes this is just an aside. We're not certain if Jesus cares about us. Here, Jesus is saying, I'm concerned that they might faint. Let's feed them. They say, how are we supposed to feed them? We're in this desolate place. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of comical. Weren't they there, you know, like two chapters before? Maybe this was a year later or something like that, but, but still, I think I would remember, right? It's really funny. Can I just say a little thing? I preached this sermon two weeks ago, and I, and I forgot it, and I had to look over. <laughs> That's how it works. Right, Trip. <laughs> uh, but he says, bring me what you do have. Go and see how much bread you have. They come back, and they say, we have seven, and we have a few fish. Jesus does the exact same thing. He's thankful for it. He has the people sit down. They take the bread. They set it before all of the people, and they eat. And it says the exact same word. They are satisfied with the bread that Jesus broke and that he multiplied. It's pretty amazing. It seems pretty clear also that the lesson they're supposed to learn from all of this is that Jesus is the bread of life. And that's what is said in the, in the Matthew account, that Jesus is the thing that will satisfy, that he himself, him broken, him shared, him like distributed to the people, he alone will satisfy every hunger and craving that anyone ever has. He is that, and he satisfies every time, guaranteed so much so, that regardless of how desolate the place is, or how hard the situation might be, he will not only satisfy, but there will be leftovers. Thanks. (laughs) He is more than enough for us. He's more than enough for how we share with others. He's more than enough when we're trying to look out for the people who are hungry and who might faint. He is actually more than enough And what's awesome is he is the one that satisfies them, not us. With him, you will never, ever hunger, like truly hunger. Surely, they know this, right? I mean, they saw it up close. I mean, you kind of have to imagine that there's some sort of assembly line, at least I think that way, ever since... I worked at Starbucks and UPS. Life is an assembly line. And surely they were, Jesus had the bread that handed it to them and they just kept passing it down. And I think you would remember if you touched the bread that satisfied thousands. But after all that, they get on the boat. Now there's 13 of them. Uh, The 12 disciples and plus Jesus. I was impressed with myself earlier this week that I figured out there were 13, not 12. Anyway, 13 of them on a boat, one loaf of bread. I mean, you think about the ratio. Some of you are really great mathematicians. I mean, earlier they had seven loaves for 4,000. Now they have one loaf for 13. 
And they begin talking about the fact that in their, their words, they have no bread. We're probably going to get hungry on this boat. We shouldn't have forgotten all those leftovers. It's as if maybe they thought that, that Jesus was like, um, you know, like one of those video game characters where, you know, you use all of your strength and then you can't dunk really awesome anymore, like on NBA Jam. Like if you hold down the turbo button so much, the next round you can't like go up and do eight backflips and dunk. I like everyone who's played NBA Jam. Uh, they think maybe Jesus has run out of the ability to multiply this bread. They're again concerned that they're going to be hungry. And I, I just, how can they be so confused about who Jesus is and what's going to happen to them? Can't they get this stuff? Haven't, hasn't Jesus kind of shown them enough things for them to understand this? Don't they understand who he is? I mean, don't they understand that, that there's, there's got to be some part of them that knows that, that Jesus is fully God and fully man standing right before them? That he's the same God who had bread come from heaven every day for the people in the wilderness for 40 years, and they ate and they were satisfied every day? Surely they know that they're dealing with the same person. And even if they don't know that, I mean, he is the guy who just, like, moments before. Why don't they understand? When is Jesus actually going to, you know, find some better students? Maybe go with fewer fishermen. Go with fewer tax collectors. Maybe these guys are just too earthy in, like, the problems of life. And Jesus should find some philosophers. Maybe an artist, maybe an artist would get that. You know, but they don't get the lesson, and it's it's a little confusing, except that it's not, right? I've learned the lesson that Jesus is enough uh, over and over again. Some of the things that I write in my journal that I say about who God is, I write as if it's the very first time that I've learned them. But then when I look back on the things that I was writing when I was 16 years old and first following Jesus, it's the same stuff. That he satisfies and nothing else will. That he provides and he provides what we really need. The lesson that he loves me that I am a son of God, that I am seated at his table and there will be no more hungering in my soul, that is a lesson that I've like forgotten this morning. The lesson that nothing I ever do could ever make me more united with God or less united with God than I already am. And I've thought, great, I've learned this lesson. It's time to move on. Take higher ground. Go into the real depths of knowledge about God. Now that I understand that he is enough. And then my circumstances might change ever so slightly. 
and I find myself back where I was. After some wandering around, I find myself exactly where I was before, with Jesus looking at me and explaining to me once again that he is enough, that he satisfies and nothing else will. But then, do you, uh, discussion question, shocking, what's something you struggle to understand and remember about Jesus? I was just super vulnerable. It's really not fair for me to be vulnerable and you not to be. I mean, this is like an equitable society. Uh, Yeah, what's something that you struggle to understand about Jesus that you just have to learn over and over again? That he's in charge. Yeah. That he's satisfying. That he's satisfying. Yeah. That he is, yeah, the savior of people. Yeah. That he doesn't need our help. Yeah. That his plans are better than my plans. That his plans are better than yours. Yeah, he's the best disciple. He's actually like moving and shaping people. And he's really good at it. Yeah. That I don't earn things or deserve things. Hmm. That you don't deserve it. And you're not earning it. Yeah. This is like theology 101 stuff. <laughs> that he does all things well. Yeah, there's not a single thing that escapes his purview of things that he's actually really fantastic at. That all things are for his glory. And that everything is for his glory. Yeah, it's, we, I think we get lost and we think some things are for our glory or for the glory of other people, right? That he thinks about me outweighs what anyone else could. Hmm. Yeah, that what he thinks about you outweighs what everyone else could. Hmm. Wow. It's amazing the amount of truth that was just shared about who God is. And these are the lessons that we struggle to remember. Uh, Jesus here gives a few uh, possibilities on why they and maybe we struggle to understand these things. He, uh, in verse 17... Uh, He says, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? It's interesting, these these three things, a hardened heart, uh, eyes to see but can't see, ears to hear but can't hear, and this last one of can't remembering are all Jesus sort of picking up where the prophets laid, left off. This is what the prophets would say over and over again about the people of Israel. The first one, the hard heart. It, it's this concept of how our hearts and our refusal of God make our souls calloused to God himself. That This idea that there's this regular pattern of saying, no, I don't want that that somehow builds within us an inability to even digest God. 
a super silly example that I hope is not offensive to anyone. But it's uh, the heart and heart idea uh, is like people who decide to not eat gluten anymore. So not like, I'm not talking about people with gluten intolerances, but people who like see, man, this is what we're putting in the wheat in the world, this gluten stuff. I'm not going to eat it anymore. You guys know people like this? We're some of those people, right? And so you say, no more bread. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm, I'm forsaking that whole thing. From now on, I'm going to be, you know, glutenless. And you begin to... Uh, <laughs> and then, eventually, and this always happens, you get to the point where you say, those croissants look very good. <laughs> or you say, this biscuit that my grandmother makes, surely it will be good if I just take it and I eat it. And then maybe it's for you just like a loaf of French bread that's warmed up and there's butter on it, and you say, you know what, who cares about the gluten? And so you take some of it and you eat it. Oh, and it tastes so good. Except your stomach rejects it violently. (laughs) That uh, is our hardened hearts towards God. That we say, I don't want any more of that. Despite being around the goodness all the time, just like the people are around the goodness of bread all the time, but they say, no, not for me. Corn tortillas only. <laughs> Eventually, when they, when they, that their stomachs then become unable to digest good news, it's the same thing when we say no to God over and over again. Every opportunity, we say no more, and we reject God's voice, and it leads to our hearts unable to process his voice at all. Or as Ezekiel says, we have a heart of stone. It's our repeated rejection. We don't understand because we've conditioned our hearts to not understand. The next option that Jesus gives is he says, you have eyes to see and ears to hear, but you don't see and you don't hear. In other words, it's you're physically present. You were there. God was working around you, but you were inattentive. You didn't recognize it. You didn't see it. Uh, Often it gets referred to as people who were there and they saw uh, God separate the Red Sea and they walked across the, the sea and dry land. It was pretty remarkable. But that's not what they got from that whole thing, that God was remarkable and that his glory was everywhere. They had eyes to see it, They had ears to hear what was happening, but they were distracted by other things. And what God did didn't really meet their expectations. Here, this is, I think, what the reference is to the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod, if you remember that part of the passage. The leaven of the the Pharisees was they had these great expectations that Jesus was going to come and he was going to be a king and he was going to be a warrior. He was going to be really awesome and all they needed from Jesus was a sign. But because Jesus didn't fit exactly what they wanted or what they imagined, they couldn't hear him at all. They could not hear him even though they were there because he didn't fit what they wanted. The same with Herod. Herod wanted power and control and thought, maybe Jesus could be a great ally to the thing that I want to do. That's Herod. And so even though Herod was there and was a witness to the things that Jesus did, he couldn't perceive it. He couldn't understand it. He was there, but Jesus didn't fit 
his preconceived idea. So even though we hear Jesus' words and we see his life worked out in the people around us, even our very own lives, it doesn't fit what we expect. And so we can't understand it. We can't hear it or see it, even though we have eyes and ears. And then he asks, you can't remember? We have amnesia, maybe. They were there. They saw the fish. They just forgot. I think so concerned about the present realities, and this is how our minds and hearts work, we've become so full of the circumstances that we're sitting in, there's no space to think about, I wonder what happened before today. I wonder what happened in the last couple years in my own life. I wonder where God was showing up. Because we're just really worried about what's happening today or what might happen in the future, and we cannot possibly remember. And so those are the options that Jesus lays out for why they might not be able to understand. You know what's interesting is uh, it just gets left hanging there. Jesus says, why don't you understand? He does this dialogical thing where he says how much fish were left over, how many bread baskets, and they give him the answers, you know, 12 and 7, which adds up to 19, just to continue to prove my math skills. But what's interesting is there's no, like, real closure about which one it is for the disciples. The next part of the dialogue is not, and so Peter stood up and says, it's because I can't remember. And Andrew stood up and said, well, it's because I have eyes but can't see. No, all we get is that Jesus kept walking with them. That's all we get. That Jesus still, day by day, woke up each day and walked with them. Listened to them. In the coming chapters, we'll see, showed them really fantastic things. Told them about his death and resurrection. All we see is that he kept doing it. Kept teaching them. He kept uh, caring for them. He washed their feet. That's what we see. We never, ever find out with these guys. Was it their memory failure? Was it their heart failure? Was it their inability to perceive? All we see is him washing their feet, sharing communion with them, taking the bread, breaking it, passing it around for them, and says, this is my covenant. This is my life given to you. All we see is that he dies on a cross for these people. He rises again for them. He appears to them. He comes to them in his resurrection, in his new life. He goes to these people who just struggle to understand even the thing about the bread and the fish. And for these same people, he sends them out on his mission to declare all the good things about him everywhere and to every person. And he gives them the Spirit of God to actually do that stuff. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus doesn't flunk us when we fail to understand. 
He doesn't get tired of us. He doesn't look at us and say, wow, you still can't remember that I'm good at all things? Still can't remember that what I view about you is the most important thing in the world? You still don't know that I fully satisfy and I'm satisfying? What he actually does is the opposite. Every day he pursues us, and every moment he comes to us always eager to teach us about who he is. Coming to us every day saying, I am the one that satisfies every longing. I'm the one that feeds your soul. I'm the one that pursues you. I'm the one who died and rose again. I'm with you. My body, my bread has been given for you. And I think that's one of the things that makes Jesus so astounding. He's willing to teach us the mystery of his identity over and over again. He's as eager to teach us who he is today as he was the very first day. He's as eager to persevere and be steadfast in in helping us understand us today as he was that day with those first disciples pretty great. Sandwiched in the middle of this whole thing uh, are two healings. It's kind of like a healing teaching sandwich. Uh, If you ever want to geek out with the gospel of Mark, which I know all of you want to, uh, it'd be so cool if one of you geeked out on this, but uh, this is kind of Mark's MO. He's like, here's a healing. Someone's going to learn something. Here's another healing. It's a little sandwich where the piece of the bread, all of us gluten eaters, uh, point to the lesson in the middle. So there's these two healings surrounding it. The first one is the person who can't hear, even though the person has ears. The last one is about a person, uh, sorry, uh, who can't see, even though they have eyes. The first one is the person who's deaf and mute. What Jesus does is there's these people that are begging him to heal that person, and he takes them away privately and does a very invasive thing. He pokes them in the ears. He grabs his tongue. He says this Aramaic phrase, be opened. And then the man, it says, could hear and spoke plainly. And the crowd responds in this moment. They are astonished beyond measure. They are so certain about what they're about to say because they've seen it in abundance. Their their astonishment and their awe of Jesus is overflowing. There's leftovers, baskets of leftovers of their amazement at Jesus. And what they say is, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All things well. Deaf speak, the mute speak. We see throughout that the blind are able to see, that the paralyzed walk, the oppressed are liberated, the forgotten are shepherded, the ignored are cared for, The seas are stilled, the winds are calmed, the isolated are brought into community, the captives are set free, the tired find rest, 
The broken are made whole, and the dead rise. He has done all things well. Let's see how good we are at this. How many things? Oh, glad you're here today. How did he do them? He did it all well. We're average. <laughs> we started this series by saying that Jesus changes everything. I think it's, it's written up there. We're talking about how. He does all things well. Then the second story is equally invasive. Uh, there's a blind man. Same thing. Jesus takes him away outside the village, away from the crowds. And he spits. And he touches his eyes. And then he, he stops. Uh, and the guy says, I see ints walking around. I see figures. They look like people, but they're walking like trees. So what Jesus does is the same thing again. Puts his hands back on his eyes, and this time he opens his eyes and he sees. It says his eyes were restored, and he saw everything clearly. The restoration happens. I think it's uh, in both these cases... What would allow you to sign up for, for this? I mean, I think about these stories, and I don't want anybody to touch me in my ears. <laughs> I don't want anyone to spit on their hands and then touch my tongue. Or anyone to spit on my eyes and touch and hold my eyes. What would allow these people to be okay with that? kind of invasive nature of Jesus' healing. I think they're desperate. Desperate to hear. They'll sign up for anything. Desperate to see. They'll sign up for anything. And in the end, what we see is that he gives them eyes to see and ears to hear. And while Jesus is persevering with us in all of our times to not understand all of the lessons that we learn over and over again, the mystery of Jesus saying, I want to teach you from the start the ABCs of everything. All the while, there are moments where we can see things somewhat. There are moments when Jesus makes us able to see completely and hear completely. But there is a day coming when everything will be clear. Where we will gather around all day, every day, saying and repeating, look at Jesus. He's done everything well. Look at Jesus. He's restored all of our sight, all of our ability to hear. Look at him. What we see now is just a slither of the amazing glory that is Jesus. So not understanding is uh, it's kind of okay. I think the way that we're going to learn to understand and remember is probably through things that are uncomfortable, that we'd rather not sign up for, but we're desperate to see and we're desperate to hear. Not understanding is a theme that continues through Mark. 
this is not the end of this phrase, and they did not understand. You can kind of hear the narrator's voice over and over again. It's a theme of our stories. But it's not uh, a downfall that we struggle to understand. It's one of Christianity's true beauties and rewards. That we get to say, I don't know why. I don't know how. But I do know that my Savior does everything well. And in the end, I know my Savior will change and restore everything. The life of a disciple uh, is someone who surrenders their life to that person, Jesus, who will say, he has all authority to do and to transform whatever part of me he wants to, and in whatever way he wants to. And I trust that he'll do it well. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, you do all things well. Uh, Even as we come to take uh, communion, we thank you for that truth. That it's a sign, it's a thing that we do to remember, to remind ourselves that you're so good. God, I pray that you will um, continue to have compassion on us that we will continue to teach us that you are enough, that you're sufficient, that all of the things that we shared that were so gloriously true, I pray that we will be able to remember. I also thank you for your gentleness to teach us over and over again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.